Onyx Hunt is our go-to solution for anything mapping related, whether we're at the house or in the field, whether we're using the tracking feature in order to kind of figure out exactly where we're going in and out of the woods, to also implementing the new cell camera feature where you can actually link your different cell cameras that you may have from different brands and be able to get all those photos sent directly through the Onyx app where you can actually see them on your maps and be able to go through all your photos right there in one place. You can use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout and save 20% on your Onyx Onyx membership. Onyx has been extremely helpful for us the last six years, and I'm sure it'll be helpful for you. So know where you stand with Onyx. I'm sure by now y'all have heard about the Vortex VIP warranty. It is a unlimited, unconditional lifetime warranty. Absolutely the best warranty in the business. So if you drop your binos out of a tree stand, if you run them over with your truck, whatever happens, you can send it into Vortex and they'll fix or replace it. That gives me peace of mind knowing that Vortex stands behind their products. So hey, head on over to Midway USA and use the promo code SOUTHERN to get a discount on any Vortex optics you order through Midway USA. If you use that code, you get a discount and it helps out the show. So head on over to MidwayUSA.com and check out some Vortex optics. Meadow Creek Mounts is your go-to mounting option for red dots on your turkey shotgun. And one of my favorite features about this mount is you don't have to drill and tap your shotgun in order to mount a red dot onto your shotgun. I personally have used this mount the last two seasons and it's worked extremely well for me. One thing I personally like about it is because it's so low onto the barrel when it mounts to the rib of your shotgun, it allows for a very natural head positioning when shouldering your gun. Also an advantage of using a red dot compared to maybe just a traditional bead on your shotgun is you get a much more clear view of the turkey and you're able to kind of see what else is around there and making sure you're perfectly on that bird. Now if you're interested in giving Meadow Creek Mounts a try you can go over to the website meadowcreekmounts.com and use the code southern at checkout to be able to save 10% on your order. Welcome to the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. I think this is episode number 12, but I could be wrong. I'm here with my buddy Jacob Myers. Jacob, how are you doing today in Florida? Oh, I'm doing excellent now compared to North Carolina. Uh, weather is phenomenal compared to where I just came from. It was snowing Monday while I was in North Carolina, and currently it is 87 degrees outside, sunny and breezy. It feels amazing. Uh, so glad being down here, um, and hopefully might be able to go out and try to get hunt some Osceola's uh, sometime this week if I can make it happen, but we'll see. But Andrew, now how are you doing? I'm, I'm doing jealous because I want to hunt some Osceola's, but you're down there hogging all the Osceola's for me. <laughs> Pretty much. I, I saw actually a bunch of them on the way down. I was coming past uh, Lake Okeechobee. Or I should have said they were, you know, salt turkeys. I'm guessing they're Osceola's. Uh, supposedly, most of the birds south uh, of Lake Okeechobee is or Osceola's. So that's what I was betting on. But yeah, man, see a lot of birds on the way down, and you know, put uh, about twelve, no, eighteen hundred miles uh, this week driving. Again, guys traveling for work. Um, but yeah, down here for about a week, week and a half, and uh, hopefully we're gonna be able to make some time out to go uh, shoot some Osceola's or go attempt to. <laughs> I hear that, dude. So, Jacob, I don't remember if I told you about these this last week of turkey hunting that I've had. So, all this might be new to you, but uh, I've had a pretty eventful week. All right. Yeah, eventful. Notice I did not say successful, but it was definitely eventful. Uh, oh, yeah, I was, was going to say, if it was successful, I think we've all solved pictures by now. <laughs> yeah, no. No, I, I can't find any turkeys that are dumber than I am, so. <laughs> but, man, I was out on the public that I, I live close to uh, two days in a row last week. I don't, even, I don't remember which days they are, but I was out there two days in a row kind of hunting a new area that I'd never been to before, kind of took a little gamble going in here, and it, it really paid off. I got on turkeys. Didn't hear any gobbles the first day, but I did call in a hen, and, guys, you can go look on the Facebook or Instagram page for Southern Outdoorsmen to see the video of this hen clucking and purring and putting at me. Uh, I called her in to 25 yards, and she just stayed there for, I mean, gosh. I mean, it was over 10 minutes for sure because I took two videos, and they were eight minutes apart. So she was there in front of me for a long time, and she never quit making noise. So that was just a cool lesson in turkey behavior, just seeing how, how she acted and the noises that she made. She 
She gave me a good lesson on what to replicate, I guess. But she didn't bring a gobbler in with her, which was very disappointing. So I left empty-handed that day. Uh, fast forward to the next day, I go into the same spot, bump one right where she she was at the day before. Work up this hill, and I'm just hunting around. And long story short, I found a really really good spot. Heard two gobbles, but never got on one. But I'm actually going to be going to that spot. Uh, maybe, uh, I don't know, man. I'll be up late tonight, so probably not tomorrow morning. But maybe tomorrow midday, if the winds aren't too bad. But if not tomorrow, then definitely on Tuesday, the day after this episode drops, I will be out there, hopefully putting some uh, TSS downrange at a turkey. <laughs> if all goes accordingly. Well, I hear that, dude. I mean, it sounds like you've had... You know, at least some great learning experience so far and kind of having a better idea what those birds are doing, especially on that public land. But uh, let's get a little bit into this uh, this episode, guys. Uh, today we actually do an interview with Robert McCormick, who actually was one of our strut reporters uh, for this past week. And um, anyways, we just do a general interview with him kind of about how his season's been going, but also kind of focus a little bit on uh, public land hunting tactics and his go-to, uh, you know, tactics for hunting pressured, high-pressured public lands. And that's one thing that me and Andrew really uh, connected and got a lot out of this podcast just because, you know, that's what we do. We hunt a lot of high-pressured public lands uh, for turkeys. And, you know, again, like Andrew talks about, you know, they're not, you know, secret spots. I mean, everyone knows about birds on these pieces of properties, and it's a pretty well-known pieces of properties. So, you know, you got to do something different and definitely, you know, uh, Robert, you know, brought out, a, you know, some great tactics for us to definitely use and some stuff we've already done and some stuff that we'll definitely try more in the future. And then we kind of go into a little bit more uh, greater detail about his association and affiliation with Apex Ammunitions. And I know, uh, I'm sure y'all have heard by, uh, or heard of Apex uh, by now. And again, you know, they specialize in making uh, TSS, Tungsten Super Shot, um, loads uh, for turkey hunting and now they've branched out to a couple other uh, opportunities for uh, you to use their shells like i'm currently using some of their uh, coyote loads and hopefully be able to try that out this summer on some coyotes but again we kind of talk a little bit about apex and get it really good in depth uh, about the company and everything they're doing with that company and really get a good idea of uh, where they're kind of going and actually how new they are i was surprising to hear how young a company they are and how fast they're growing. I mean, it's unbelievable, their growth and their knowledge. I mean, pretty much everyone's at least heard of Apex by now. And if you haven't, then you probably lived under a bush and you're not on social media. Uh, but again, guys, it's a it's a pretty great episode um, of everything we kind of cover. Um, but before we kind of turn over to the actual interview, Andrew, do you have anything else you want to kind of fill in with that? Uh, I'll just kind of repeat what you said. I mean, this is this is probably top three for me favorite episodes that we've done so far and just turkey episodes in general man this is a good one just because i got a lot out of it you know there's not a lot of turkey stuff out there in general but when you can get somebody like robert on the phone to discuss things somebody who's just seen a ton of turkeys die they can they can help you with a lot of stuff and just to kind of whet y'all's appetite i gave him a scenario that happened to me on saturday or was it saturday man i, I don't know i've been awake too long all my days are running together but basically i had a situation the other day where i almost killed a turkey uh, i i got within you know 100 yards of him on the roost he was burning it up gobbling his head off and some hens were moving in towards us and they kind of got in the mix between me and the bird and i kind of explained what happened there and he he tells me how he would go about that situation so what he might have done differently or might what he might suggest that I do next time so I got some good advice out of it and it's definitely something that I'm gonna put to good use in the coming days as I go back there and hopefully kill this turkey this is the second time I've called him up and not killed him and this time he was within 40 yards and I just couldn't get a shot so uh, I think that y'all will get a lot out of this and I know I sure did so that's all I have to say, man. I guess you ready to jump into it? Yes, sir. Again, I really appreciate Robert coming on. And I think you guys are, like Andrew said, going to get a lot out of this episode. But without further ado, let's talk to Robert. All right. And here is that pre-recorded interview with Robert McCormick of Old Tom Turkey Apparel and Apex Ammunition. 
Alright guys, and let me apologize in advance for the audio quality in this episode. We're having a little bit of technical difficulties that we're trying to work out right now, but hopefully next week we will have it fixed and have some better audio for you guys. But this is a great interview nonetheless, so y'all enjoy it, and please let us know what you think about it. All right, folks, and me and Jacob are here with Robert McCormick of Old Tom Turkey Gear and Apex Ammunition. Robert, how you doing, man? Oh, not too bad, buddy. Just uh, headed to the house from a uh, very eventful afternoon and morning. I hear that. I, I hear that you've been uh, slaying some turkeys, man. How's the season been going so far? Yeah, it's been going pretty smooth. Um, a lot of activity. Fortunately, just seems like everywhere I've went, um, so far this year has worked out in my favor and everybody else's as well with me. Um, been very blessed, to say the least. So, how, how many turkeys have you watched die so far? I'm sitting at about 32 um, after yesterday morning. Uh, publicly killing just for uh, my buddy Jamie Boyle. Uh, I think that was number, yeah, that was number 31 or 32, something like that. God almighty. Whew. Man, turkeys go to bed at night, check under their bed for Robert McCormick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always uh, I like that old man that runs around. Uh, I wonder if they're sitting there thinking of me right now. So I want to make sure they do. I wonder if the turkeys are thinking of me too. <laughs> yep. Man. I know they're laughing at me. They're laughing at me after today. <laughs> so... So, well, give us a little rundown, though. How'd your hunt go this morning? Oh, well, uh, let's just say my son got a lot of education on what not to do with the old mature palm. <laughs> um, we had a bird that been after for a couple of days now. Um, about a week ago, my buddy Corey Wells was down, and this bird was hammering, hammering, hammering. <laughs> and we tried working them. Uh, made multiple moves. And actually, ended up having another bird that we thought was hit him uh, back door, uh, which Corey ended up killing. Uh, got some pretty good footage on that, and uh, really good pictures, etc. But uh, thought we got that bird. Um, the following morning, we set up on another location at the other end of the ranch. And uh, when I say other end, within hearing distance of the uh, original location, we heard that bird over there gobbling. And um, so we're, we knew he was still around. Um, I've laid eyes on this bird. He's going to be pushing a solid inch and a half to inch and three quarter on the spurs. Um, he's, he, he's a stud, absolute stud. Not much on beard, but so anyways, um, you know, we hunted that second morning. We got set up tight on the roost before he killed that bird. And of course, South Carolina trip came along. Well, got back, uh, me and my buddy Jamie came out yesterday afternoon to uh, scout this bird for my son um, after I took Jamie over to uh, one of our Central Florida public land spots. And uh, we kind of put woodsmanship to uh, to the work and uh, Jamie killed his. But we came back and reached to this bird. Um, kind of opted not to get tight on this bird just because of where he was located. So we stayed off of him. Um, and got to work early this morning on uh, on chasing this bird, getting after this bird. Had him coming. Um, good Lord, had him coming twice. The cow busted it up, coming in, got between us. Bird went quiet. He'd go back to where, where I'm assuming is a strut zone. And uh, got up, made a move, moved, tried to, tried to cut the distance a little bit, and also shifted. Uh, instead of going straight at him, kind of cut the distance, but shifted distance and shifted south to another game trail I was aware of there and uh, set up didn't want to get about 20 probably about 20 yards off the field edge or off the, you know, the pasture edge and uh, got set up went back to work on the bird of course he was gobbling, boom, fired him right back up um, sounded like he was coming, the next thing you know that same bull and group of cows that busted me on the uh, other pasture decided they were going to come around and beat on that pasture. So, me and some vegans, we uh, we kind of got after one another a little bit. It was getting a little irritating. Um, after they did that, busted the bird off, um, sat there, had the footage rolling, waiting, expecting him to poke his head in that swamp at any time. And he never did. And we, we 
man, we just made just the best educated guesses on what to do um, after that. Got a lost sight of the bird. Don't know where he went. He, he just lost all, all vocals with me. I'm thinking he paired with some hens or a hen, and she drug them off in another direction. Um, but just made multiple moves, soft calling tactics, and just try to do everything I could do. Uh, between staying soft, getting aggressive, and we didn't come out of there until, well, it's 9-11 now. So it's been a uh, it's been a day of pulling what little bit of hair I have left out. <laughs> so. Man, I've, I've had a couple days like that lately. These turkeys in Alabama, man, have oh, taken yeah. me to school. They have taken me to school. Oh. I'm like a little seven-year-old out there. I mean, man. <laughs> It's a, it's bad, dude. But uh, Jacob, have you, have you gotten any scouting or anything done in North Carolina, or what, what's going on in your life, Jacob? Yeah, so I just drove down from North Carolina to back to Birmingham actually yesterday. Uh, but while I was up there, I was uh, scouting with uh, one of our listeners uh, on a couple properties that he has. One of them is flat out covered with birds. The other one, it's got birds on it, but not nearly as much as the uh, the first property we checked out. And you know, it's definitely something that once their season opens up, which is I believe the 14th or 15th of April, he should be in a very good situation uh, for being able to harvest a bird. He actually sent me a couple of photos uh, two days ago of a couple of long beards he just had on camera that has came in. But uh, other than that, I haven't been able to scout at all. I mean, just been traveling with work. I actually, when I went home yesterday. I uh, got the rest of my turkey gear, my shotgun, <clears throat> put in my car, and then I'm now down here in uh, uh, close to Fort Lauderdale, uh, Florida. And I'm down here for about a week, week and a half because uh, of work. But I may just be buying me a tag and a license down here to go hunt some uh, public land over the counter uh, stuff if my cars get played correctly. But that's what I got going on right now. Uh, other than that, nothing's really been going on. I've been just too busy with work. I hear that, man. So. I, I guess, Jacob, you haven't really had any experience with turkeys, but me and Robert have been after them. So, uh, Robert, so you, you've hunted a bunch this year so far, and you've uh, you've seen a lot of turkeys die. So I guess I'll just start out by asking you, is there is there one thing, one specific tactic that you've been using a lot on all these hunts that has been consistently working for you, whether it be a certain call sequence or just a certain kind of setup? No, the... Uh... It's been pretty much uh, shooting from the hip on every one of them, you know, Um I've just been giving and reading what they're giving me and uh, kind of playing to that as my strength. Um, whether it's a hen that wants to be chatty, I'm um, going to get chatty back with her, but not trying to be too pushy with her. Um, basically garner her interest to where she wants to come and just, hey, come hang out, you know what I mean? Or have a tom that's fired up just trying to keep them fired up and you know just everything everything's been its own unique little scenario it seems like um it's like open weekend got a, uh down to the south node and man it was long hard days of hunting turkeys multiple moves um i mean one we took it all the way down to you know the final final couple of hours of the day and we're able to double it. It's been unique experiences. And then, of course, you know, got to South Carolina. And uh, fortunately, I've had family up there that, you know, taken pretty good care of the uh, the properties that we have access to and and uh, kept an eye on the birds. And, you know, it's just some were slam dunks and some were just hard hunt. Um, there hasn't been one tactic that I can honestly say that I could use on or I have used repetitively other than just staying persistent. Um, and staying patient, that's the main thing. Um, there's been plenty of times where I felt like, man, I got to jump up and go uh, because that's the running gun in me. And fortunately, I talked myself out of it and waited that bird out um, because it just sealed it, man. It's 25, 20, you know, 20, 25 yard bird is like a chip shot at the gimme. So, yeah. Well, that's one thing, Robert, I noticed. Well, that's one thing, Robert, I noticed about uh, when I talked to you uh, for the strut report that you seem very versatile with everything you do. You know, you're not dead set in your ways that you only do this, this, or this. I mean, you seem like you're very opportunistic and just will do pretty much anything it takes just to be able to get that bird on the ground. And it seems like you have a very uh, large bag of tricks and just tactics that you'll use and go to that, you know, day in and day out. And that's one reason I think you're so successful is 
you know, you don't get stuck in your ways. You don't get stuck in the rut. You just, you know, always changing, always doing something different. I think that's one reason you're being so effective. That's one thing I really like to, you know, relate with a lot of our listeners is, you know, being like that. That's one thing, you know, I, I struggle with. You know, my my probably uh, biggest downfall is being patient. Uh, and that's one thing that I think will kill more turkeys than anything is just being patient. I mean, you don't have to be the best caller, but as long as you can tempt his uh, interest and curiosity and just be patient, you can kill some birds. But that's one thing that I lack, but that's one thing I can see that, you know, you're very effective with. And also when, it, you know, times get tough, you can be more aggressive and definitely running gun. I think that's one thing that a lot of our listeners will get out of this episode is kind of seeing a little bit more what it takes on your side to be able to be successful, especially in these different states that you hunt in. Oh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, the main thing is I just keep an open mind on everything. and there, There's nothing better, in my opinion, than just being able to read a map and understand what lay of the ground is, being familiar with the woods you're in, um, you know, knowing your obstacles that are in place, knowing your pitch points, knowing your transitions. Um, there, there's nothing, there, there's no replacement for that, in all honesty. You can, uh, you can be the greatest caller in the world, but if a bird wants to hang up because there's a fence line right here that's over a behind, I don't care who you are. You're not going to get them and come across that fence line. You know, you got to know that's there and adjust your setup and adjust your, adjust your, your tactics and your, your strategy to accommodate what's in front of you. Um, that's just one of the biggest things, in my opinion, that, that, I've learned over the years to be familiar, know your woods, spend the time in the woods, spend the time walking the woods, uh, getting the complete lay of the land, and then learning to be patient. Because I'll tell you now, a lot of the young hunters, they go out there and they're learning the hard way on a lot of this, and some of them aren't learning at all. Uh, seen it enough with enough public ground that, you know, they ask me, hey, what do you do? And it's just like, listen, man, I just, I give the bird time to tell me what he wants to do. What do you mean by that? That's real simple. I sit still and shut up. You know, I give the bird time to do tell me what he wants to do. And at that point, I play to what I think his strengths are, or my strengths would be in coaxing him or her. More so her than him. I do more work with a hen than I do with Tom Tom, unless he's by himself. Um, and see, well, that's one thing I found very well, fascinating. Well, yeah. Was that the way you like to work a hen like that is unbelievable. And that's something that... You know, a lot of people, I don't really think they understand that, in which I really didn't understand that. I mean, if a bird's, if a gobbler or a tons with, a, uh, you know, a couple of hens, you got to talk to those hens to get those hens to work into you, not necessarily in an aggressive way, but more in a welcoming way where they're going to come in and bring that tom with them because it's so hard to call a bird, you know, awesome hens that he's already stuck with. And when you told me that during the short point, that's definitely something we wanted to talk about was your tactic for doing that and how you do you like to call more towards the hens than the actual tom itself. Oh, yeah. Um, that, that's one of my number one killers, honestly, or I shouldn't say number one killers, but one of my favorite ways to hunt, uh, quote unquote, I hate using this term, end up birds. Because um, it's just natural. They're not end up, they're dealing with natural killing. Um, is I like to find that dominant hen, that, that, that lead hen, and I don't want to challenge her, even if she's feeling spunky that morning. I will be submissive most times, nine times out of ten. Now, I will tell you this me being submissive and passive with her, trying to just soft, sharp yelps, young hen talk, um, hey, come find me, I'm lost, you know, assembly stuff. If, um, if I can't get her to bite on that and she doesn't engage in conversation, well, then at that point, I'm either going to shut up and let them walk off and then, you know, adjust from there, or I'm going to get aggressive with her and just try to make her mad. Um, a lot of times she'll come in and looking for a bite, but the... Uh, and a lot of times, all you're going to do is bust that block right off when you do it. So you just got to be careful with it. You got to read the temperament, read the attitude, and just adjust to it. Uh, that's that's a lot of what's been successful for me over the years. Um, couple that with just having a good common knowledge of where you're hunting, and it doesn't have to be. You don't have to be an expert woodsman. Just got to be good enough. You know, having a lay of the land that just helps a lot. That's why your local guys. I mean, you speak for your local guys. Speak for your biologists. One of my favorite things to do when I'm traveling state to state is I'll call a biologist and talk to him and say, hey, man, give me a report. What's going on? How's everything up that way? Um, well, what do I have to expect out of this area with, you know, this county? You know, what's, 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 what's the, uh, you know, what's the tagging system looking like? How many tags are getting called in? You know, how, how is this looking? What area? Blah, blah. 
you know, and, and they'll give you all the information. They're happy to give you all the information as long as they're not turkey hunters, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. You are. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of them want to keep that stuff for themselves, and I don't blame them. You know, we're the, we're the most difficult group of individuals there is to communicate with. So, but it's uh, it's um, that that's that's one of my just number one things to do, or one of my most common things to do is, especially with the uh, quote uh, you know quote unquote hand up Tom, um, is I want like to get after her. So she wants me. She's just as chatty as he is, and she she you know appealing to the motherly side of her will kill just as many toms as calling directly to him, if not more. Yeah, and uh, that kind of, that's something I've been dealing with over this last week. I've called in several hens in the last week of hunting. But to to kind of expand on that, I want to run some scenarios by you and ask you how you would handle these certain situations. So I'll start off by giving you one that happened to me two days ago or whatever it was. Uh Let's say that you are hunting a, a a valley of planted pines, so just row pines, very open land, and down at one end, all the way at the end of the pines, there's a gobbler just going crazy, gobbling on the limb, you know, over 20 times, just going nuts. Uh, he stays in the tree till probably 7:30. He stays in the tree basically an hour after daylight, and you're moving in on him. Okay, you got the tom about. 80 yards to your left, just gobbling at everything, but then about 100 yards to your right, you've got a group of hens moving towards them. What would you do in that situation? What I would do in that situation is I'd most likely, if I didn't get there early enough or roost him the night before, I would allow them to fly down and see what they're going to do, see what they're going to give me. Um, At that point, uh, that's going to fall back to knowing your property. I'm going to make a move, and I'm going to make sure I get way ahead of them. And then I'm going to get seated in, calm and collected, comfortable, uh, well-hidden, and go soft at that point. Um, but I won't, I'll go soft as far as just fur putts, scratching leaves, something of that nature, um, especially if it's, like you said, if it's planted pines that are real open floor. Uh, because you know them plant them young plant pines. There's sometimes there are, a lot of them are real open floor. Uh, if it's real open floor and you just can't get in there and get tight, the worst thing you can do is get in there and bust them hens and bust that tom. So I would allow them to fly down and just see what they're going to do, see what they're going to give me, and then make a move accordingly. Um, if I'm dealing with small properties um, on that nature, I would probably just try to get as tight as I could, you know comfortably and um just set up inside those planted pines a lot of times i'll lay on my stomach or not even sit down at all i'll just stand up next to the tree and just become the tree um and then just go with a soft series of you know location talk you know just just kind of try to feel the situation out and then make a move if i can but a lot of times i won't even sit down uh lean up against the tree i'll just, just stand with the tree or I'll lay down on the forest floor or, you know, on, on the, uh, on, on the ground and just get in tight to anything I can get in tight to. I like that, man. That, that's a, laying down is something that I've definitely thought about doing. I haven't had a chance to do it yet. I haven't had a spot conducive to that, but, you know, it's hard to stay hidden in those areas where, like you said, it's just wide open understory. You know, there's nothing there to hide against. And sitting against the bottom of the tree, I mean, you really look pretty unnatural. So it is better to lay or stand against the tree. But uh, I'll give you the rundown of kind of what happened to me. Is So this, this Tom was just burning it up down there, gobbling his head off. I snuck way down there. I was able to sneak on a little logging road at the very top of the pines. He was roosted in the in the bottom, and I was on the top of the ridge above him. And I snuck within 120 yards of him. And he was he was firing off, hammering, but then to my right, I could hear some hens that were also answering me, and they were I was basically between him and the hens, and so then I I was like, well crap, they're gonna go up there and he's gonna pitch down and run off with them, so I got a little panicked, I guess, so I head down there, I got I don't know how I got this close to him, but I got down there without busting him, and I got right on top of him, and. Uh, Basically, long story short, I was sitting there, and I clucked a few times, and I had a hen 40 yards behind me, and I had him 40 yards in front of me, but he never gave me a shot. 
and I couldn't move to readjust to try and shoot them because I had a bunch of turkeys around me. But it was a it was a stressful morning. <laughs> it was fun though. But this it is sounds like a, it sounds like a good educational process. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, learning the hard way, man. That's the best way to learn. <laughs> but, well, yeah. then, that and on top of that, thinking about everything you heard on the limb and what what you know, all, all the uh, interaction that took place. I mean, you're going to be able to use that somewhere else. Oh, you know, yeah. it might not be on that property, oh, yeah. but you got to hear so many different sounds and how they interact at that point. That's nothing but an education. Yeah, and it was really cool because those hens were so close to me, and they were doing really soft calls all around me, just really soft yelps, tiny little clucks, little whines. It was very, very cool to be able to hear that up close for several minutes at a time. I mean, they were in front of me for a long time. Uh, but the, awesome. the planted pine thing is just... It's really a bear for me and Jacob because we've been hunting these planted pines for years now, and it's difficult to call one up in there because another problem that you're faced with in a very open setting like that is if you don't have any decoys and they can see for a long ways, then a lot of times they'll hang up and just look for you. And that's exactly what happened to me and my friend Chad opening week on the same turkey. He basically hung up on both of us about 100 yards out of range and would not come in because he could see where he was supposed to see a hen but there was no hen there so do you have any advice for somebody who might not have a decoy or just doesn't use decoys for some reason in a setting like that well in a setting like that that would be kind of fall back to uh you know as far as what i said earlier is you just have to see what he's going to give you um and play it from there See what um, see what the birds are going to end up doing as far as the uh, you know like I said if there was hens whatever and uh, just play it from there. Um, it's really honestly it's a shoot from the hip game because um, every scenario every situation is gonna it's gonna change within within seconds within minutes. You just don't know you know your outside influences of what can happen um, predation things of that nature. You just don't know what's gonna push the bird off. So so everything you do is really gonna be at the moment and pretty much gauging off what the birds give you. So I would probably just my thing is on that right there, I'm scared. I don't I don't like getting in too tight because if I bust the birds off, guess what my hunt is? It's over. It's done. <laughs> yeah, it's over at that point. So I don't like busting the birds off. So if I can't get there early enough, you know, and I haven't roosted in the night before and confident that they didn't Limb, limb jump the night before, then a lot of times what I'll do is I'll play it safe because I can easily kill that bird 9, 10, 11 o'clock, you know, 12 o'clock after he's done, walked off with those hens. If I can't get in front and intercept, um, he's going to breed them hens. And a lot of times when, later in the year when the hens are getting bred and they're starting to nest and they're starting to lose their interest, that's when old, uh, that's when old, old fake Jenny steps in, you know, and he gets killed. So. Yeah. So do you do you find in in situations a lot like that? Uh, if if you hear one just gobbling his head off in a certain area in the morning, like for example, let's just say like a logging pad or something, uh, and he's just burning it up, gobbling on that pad all morning till like 8:30, and then he leaves. Uh, would you be there? Would you try and go back to that at maybe 11 o'clock at night or in the afternoon? or midday and expect him to return to that spot or would you just kind of anticipate his next moves? I would, I would more so anticipate his next moves um, and just see what he's going to do. But if he's, if that is a declared strut zone and it's identified as a declared strut zone, a lot of times he's going to end up coming back to it. One, the ladies know that's where he's going to be. Um, and two, that's just where he's comfortable at. So if he's comfortable there, by all means, I want him to be comfortable. But he's not going to be comfortable for long. Um, so I have no problems going back there and setting up. You know, it's just going to be one of those things, though, is, you know, depends on the area, how pressured it is, et cetera, et cetera. You know what I mean? So you're just going to have to really play that out and uh, just see how it unfolds. But going back to that area and starting at that point for your midday hunt, that's that's uh, that's not an issue at all. Uh, yeah, and a lot of these places that I'm talking about, it's a it's a pretty high pressure piece of public land. It's it's no secret, you know. It's people know there's birds there. It's a good place to hunt. So 
Yeah, we've had problems with people in the past, but you know you just gotta you just gotta roll with the punches and hopefully you're the one that gets them. I've learned that the soft stuff is what kills them out there. Oh yeah, the soft stuff, and I'll tell you what: when I'm on high pressure public land, I just try to when I say sound more like a hen, I'm not talking like the conversation we take place. Just talking about what a hen does throughout the day, you know, constantly scratching, you know, things of that nature. Um, I'll have a wing with me that I'll slap against brush or slap back against myself every now and again to make it sound like I'm just stretching my wing. Um, you know, th- things like that. So you'll find that they kill birds. They'll kill birds all day long. Scratching leaves is one of, one of the things that I'm constantly doing. And if I'm moving uh, from spot to spot, one of the things I'm constantly doing on pressure land especially is soft furs, bubble hooks, and scratching leaves with my feet as I make steps. And it's never more than two to three steps every time I every time I go to go to move forward in a forward process, and always keeping something between me and where I'm headed. Um, I've killed a lot of birds doing that, and that's just one of those things that, you know, goes back to I spend more time standing up, and you know, leaning against trees and being against trees, and I actually do sitting against one. Um, that's just one of the things that I've done for a long time, and this way I hunt. You know, I'll sit down and get, get nestled in with the best of them, and I'll lay down and get nestled in with the best of them. But I like that, being able to move when needed, especially on public land. I like that being able to move when needed and uh, being in tight with a tree, and you can't get any tired standing up next to one. Uh, man, I, I love that piece of advice because that's, that's just how I squirrel hunt too. I mean, I'll, I'll uh, walk through the woods and just lean up against a tree, and just stand there waiting on a squirrel to bark and then I'll go sneak up on it and I'll constantly keep a tree or something between me and the squirrel so he can't see me and uh, yeah man I find that very effective just keeping stuff between you and where you're going and standing up against trees keeps you hidden so much better than you'd ever think it would you know that's a that's a deadly piece of advice right there I like it (laughs) I like it Well, also, going back to that, I mean, that's one thing I'd I'd like to talk about a little bit more, just, you know, some public land tactics. I mean, that's one thing that definitely we've got a lot of feedback with some of our listeners that they really enjoy that. And it's something that we really like to talk about uh, when we get the chance and, you know, meet someone else that hunts, you know, both uh, public and private land, just because it's something different. And, you know, the opportunities, you know, so vast, you know, know, if you want to hunt out of state, that's one of the best ways to do is just hunt public land. But if you're going to hunt, you know, kind of like we talked about in the short report, um, you know, this past week, uh, if you're going to hunt some public land, say out of state and you're going to go do that hunt, um, if you can't get boots on the ground before you get there, what is your number one tactic for locating spots, finding ideas or who you talking to, or what's your idea for when you're hunting out of state on some public land and how do you go about doing that? If you cannot put boots on the ground beforehand. I like water sources, uh, anywhere there's a water source, Everything drinks water. Birds love roosting over and around water. Um, so my number one thing I look for is swamp bottoms, um, any kind of uh, any kind of beaver dams, any kind of uh, you know just ponds, lakes, etc. Uh, I love lake edges. Lake edges is one of my most favorite things to, to hunt. Uh, river bottoms rank right there with lake edges. Um, so if I can find water, uh, I'm 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 very happy at that point. I know I'm going to find birds. Um, I like to find areas with water that, you know, have a good, you know, whether it's a cypress line, um, pine line, but the transition is a thin transition. It's not, you know, really, really thick to thick. You want to find, you know, preferably somewhat thick to thin, um, whether it's, you know, open pasture land that they can drop down into, whether it's just a, a, a small low field, thin field, or even just a good oak bottom um, that's, you know, bordering a moist environment, moist area that they can pitch down into, and that it's going to be an extremely thin area for them to pitch down the land. Um, That's a lot of the stuff that I like to look for. Other than that, it's just knowing what they like to browse um, and and just reading the sign that's on the, you know, that's in front of you, whether it's dust bowls, you know, you see strut zones going down, strut areas going down roads, uh, in any kind of, you know, underneath oak hammocks in any area that would be, you know, from a, from a windy day that's, that's done, uh, uncovered the leaves and basically you've got a dirt bottom. Um, it's just reading the sign in front of you. So <clears throat> turkeys are turkeys, man, no matter where you go. 
they 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 all bask on the same thing. They want somewhere safe to land, somewhere safe to roost, plenty of food and water. Um, and turkeys ain't scared to travel, so you can't be scared to travel either. All right, and on some of those spots and like what you're talking about with that. You know, if you're hunting a day, kind of like today, and Andrew's telling me that, you know, in Central Alabama, they're having some uh, pretty high winds for the next couple of days. On a day, I guess similar to today, uh, I don't know how it was where you were, but well, my travels, it was extremely windy. If the birds aren't being, you know, very vocal on a windy day, what's what's your tactic on a windy day like today uh, for going out there hunting and trying to be as successful as possible? On a windy day, most birds are going to try to get somewhere very open that they can see a long ways around them. Um, just because, think about it, they're bottom of the food chain. You know what I mean? Everything's trying to eat them, whether it's eagles, hawks, whether it's coyotes, bobcats, and then, of course, you got us. So everything's trying to get them. Um, a lot of birds like to be in a really open area. They got plenty of plenty of, or plenty of uh, viewing around them to, to see predation, to see what's coming, et cetera. So at that point, my number one tool is binos spotting scopes, things of that nature. I'm going to try to get into those same areas and just get on the skirts of them. And I'm going to glass, move slowly, put the wind in my face. Uh, never put the wind in my back because turkey's number one tool also, other than their eyesight, is their ability to hear. So I'm going to keep the wind in my face. That way it's blowing all the noise behind me and not in front of me. Um, and then just, you know, like we discussed, you know, the way you squirrel hunt. Um just going to keep things between me and where I think they will be. But I'm constantly laughing, um, constantly listening, and I'm not talking to them or trying to call much. At that point, it's nothing but listenership and just, you know, just, just taking it slow and easy, man. That's the, uh, that's, that's the best way you can do it, in my opinion. Um, it's just taking it slow and easy. It's not going to be the fast, fun hunt that most everybody likes uh, where birds are hammering and you can – run to them, do whatever. They're going to give their position away because they're not. They're going to be locked, lit, tight, and quiet. So you're going to rely on your eyes and your woodsmanship on a lot of that. Yeah, and I understand that. Now, you know, kind of transfer to another topic that's very similar to this is, you know, being myself like an average guy, you know, I work a full-time job, and I don't really necessarily have a flexible enough schedule normally to be able to roost birds. For an individual, whether he's hunting public or private land, uh, maybe going to a spot that, or maybe a piece of property that he's maybe not so familiar with where he knows the actual roosting sites of the birds, if you were going to a new property and you were not able to roost a bird the night before or had a, you know, not maybe not the best idea where some of the birds were, you know, what's your go-to, you know, tactic for that morning to try to get on those birds, you know, quickly and efficiently? I mean, are you a person that kind of, you wait back pretty far and have just kind of let the woods wake up by themselves and see where the birds are and try to locate them like that? Or are you more aggressive with like an owl call or something like that and try to get in there and find them, you know, rise the sun's coming up? I'll do both. Um, prime example is the property that I've been on here recently. Um, prior to me being able to even opening day of hunting season, um, man, I only had a week on this property. And when I say only had a week on it, my, I've got a full-time job as well. You know, I, I work for the power company locally. And um, so it's pretty hectic. Um, they, they keep you plenty busy. So I only had a week. I picked this property up a week prior, um, which don't get me wrong, it was a very good property. But <clears throat> got out there, and I just kind of allowed the woods to do their own thing. Um, I just – a lot of it is I use cover to my advantage. Um, birds were roosted, whatever. They gobble would give me their location. You know, I just – try to keep things between me and them um make a move and a lot of times it just sit down and play the game at that point fortunately been very very lucky um that you know for example like that that day that uh cory was down man that's the first time i hunted that property and only the second time i've been on it and uh so that the second time matter of fact that i was on it or the third no that's the third time i was on it the second time that i was actually on it me and Corey went out there the day before, tried to roost birds, and but it was a, a nasty, nasty day, and they dang sure weren't wanting to let me know anything. So we kind of went in there semi-blind, um, just went to back corner of the property that had water, um, had good flat limb pines, um, very good live oaks, things of that nature that, you know, good flat limbs that birds get up on. And we just got back there and just listened, 
Uh, um, and then, fortunately, old feller revealed himself, even though he wasn't the one that we killed. But, you know, we killed the old, the other old feller that came in behind us. So, regardless, that's that's kind of what I like to do. I'll just get out there, and a lot of times I'll just let it wake up on its own. You let it wake up on its own and don't give it anything artificial, it doesn't know any different. You start throwing artificial stuff up, say you slip, whatever, and unless you're, you know, Scott Ellis or one of those other guys, you know, I'm, I'm not very good with an alcohol. I'm good enough to make a bird gobble, but I think it's more of a shock scare than it is, hey, that's an owl, you know? So it's uh, it's um, it's one of those tactics I don't use very often. Um, crow call, I'll mess with it. Wood duck weeds, goose call, things of that nature, I'll use those. Um, but when it comes to an owl hooter, I generally don't mess with owl hooter much. Now, you know, after, say, give another little example or so. <clears throat> uh, so after, like, a morning hunt, say you're not successful, uh, you know, off the roost, you know, it's getting to be, like, 830, almost 9 o'clock. What is your mid-morning game plan? Um, say, you know, maybe the birds aren't being super vocal. You know, they're not, you know, either gobbling their own or not having luck with uh, any birds really gobbling once they get off the roost. What's your game plan between that, you know, 9 o'clock hour and that 11 or 12 o'clock hour? Well, that was uh... – pretty much what we did today. Um, bird came down off the roost. Of course, you know, like I said, had them, had them twice. Uh, had cows that messed it up. But we just got soft and quiet. Uh, made some moves. Tried to find, you know, try to get into where some watering sources are. Things of that nature. Especially if it's a hot day. Um, but today, unfortunately, wasn't a very hot day. It was kind of cool um, by Florida standards. You know, and we just didn't have a lot of activity. But a lot of what I'll do is that I'll locate water sources, things of that nature, um, try to get in between where the bird what once was and the water source, um, <clears throat> set up, light, soft, um, until he gives me something or she gives me something. And then at that point, I'll play to that. But if they don't give me anything like today, then we're, we're on a constant move. Um, utilizing your, you know, utilizing optics, utilizing binos, things of that nature. And just on a constant move, trying to, trying to figure out where they're at, where they're going, getting in front of them. Um, and then just, you know, playing the game they'll give me. And that's just the hardest part for a lot of people is the first thing they want to do when they sit down is they want to pull that pot call out or <clears throat> that pot call out or that diaphragm and just go to ripping and roaring on it. And a lot of times that's not necessarily the best thing to do. Yeah, that that was a hard lesson for me to learn. Is just you want so bad to to start cranking on a box call or something and get one fired up, but you know that can hurt you more than it helps you, especially on some high pressure pieces that you might hunt, whether it be public or private. Uh, and I've found yeah. some of the deadliest things is just like you said earlier, scratching in the leaves, clucking and purring, just sounding like a turkey in the woods. And I uh, this is yeah. this is from way back, but like when you said. Like you'll take your hat off or something and like flap it like a wing, like they're stretching. Uh, that's that is that's awesome. That's a great piece of advice because that's just something unique. Not a lot of people do it, and it just it's pure turkey. It just sounds like a turkey in the woods, which is what you got to do. You know, the the more real you sound, the better your chances will be. Oh, that's fact. <clears throat> that is fact. Right. Well, uh, kind of moving on a little bit. Uh, I would like to ask you a little bit about Apex ammunition and, and tungsten shot. So uh, why, why don't you give it. us do, what's that? What is a said, let me hear it. Let's hear it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let's uh why don't you give us a quick rundown of what TSS is? TSS, tungsten super shot. Um anything eighteen gram and bigger. Um, it's a shot that mo mostly is derived overseas. Of course, there is some Canadian factories, things of that nature. Basically, the science and concept behind it is being able to take a smaller shot size of a higher density and be able to give the similar energies and penetrations of a shot size five times bigger. So, therefore, number nine equates to giving you the same penetration as a number four, but four times the pellets. Um, therefore... It all kills, okay? With that being said, every all of it kills. TSS just does it differently. Um, allows you to use sub-gauges. I'm a sub-gauge freak. I love my 28-gauge. I love my 410. 
practically all I hunt with. Um, a lot of guys are using it basically in a 20 gauge platform um, these days, and some guys are still burning the big old, you know, the big thunder stick, the 12 and the 10. Um, it's really, TSS is really ideal and was pretty much, you know, designed by or brought to the forefront by Mr. Kyle Smith years ago. Um, now, when I say years ago, probably 12, 13 years ago, I think it was, 14 years ago, um, to be a sub-gauge animal. Uh, basically make a sub-gauge form like a big four is what it's to do, you know, and I, I like my favorite my favorite load to shoot is a 28-gauge. Um, I've got an ounce and a half load I'm working on now um, that basically, when I say working on, it's pretty much done developed. I'm just testing. And I shoot nothing but an ounce and a half and nine and a half. Um, and pretty much, boom, turkey, man. It just hammers them. So it, uh, it, it, it really gets in there and basically destroys their skeletal structure. Um, penetrates like anything, you know, far beyond anything that's on the market, uh, with the exception of, you know, like nitro CFS and of course special CFS that's out there. Um, <clears throat> there's nothing really that can stand with it um, as far as penetration values go um, on equipment with shot sizes. So it's, TSS uh, is a force to be reckoned with, man. It's, uh, it's something that's 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 more than just what people, a lot of people think it's going to be just a niche. Something that's going to be here for a while. Um, TSS's biggest issue is availability on shots, and that's something we've kind of ran into this year. Um, it's just these uh, smelting plants and whatnot being able to keep up with what the demand is now. So it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see what it does in the future, man. I'm excited about it, to be honest with you, but it's. It's uh, it's one of those loads and one of those shots that just basically take your little guy, your little granddaddy 410, 20 gauge, and just turns it into a big boy. Uh, killing, you know, with, with, with more than capability to kill birds 40 yards and beyond, you know, which most of us aren't 40 or are not beyond our 40 yard hunters. Most of us are 40 yard guys and in. I know myself, I don't like to shoot a bird beyond 50, you know. I feel like if I've caught a bird 400 yards or further, and he stops at that 50-yard mark, I feel like I've earned that guy. You know what I mean? And I'm going to – I'm on a flat line if I can. So it gives me the opportunity. It doesn't bust or something doesn't happen between then and there. And trigger time, you know, I'm going I'm to give it to him. So. Yeah, man, and I, I agree with what you say about the sub-gauge thing. Uh I see a lot of guys shooting four tens, and like you said, twenty eight gauges for turkey, and that's that's awesome because even for a grown man, you know, it's it's a lighter gun and it's less recoil, so it's just a better package all the oh, way no, all the way around, in my opinion. Uh, so I know I've talked to Scott Ellis a little bit about what he shoots. I know he's crazy about number nine shot, and I think you said nine and a half. So a lot of people think that's insane to shoot nine shot at a turkey. Uh, but you kind of went into it before about how it's a very dense load. Uh, so what what kind of equivalents are we getting with 9-shot TSS as compared to 5-shot of, of lead? Uh, are you carrying the same kind of energy? Well, as, uh, we, basically we what you're about, doing uh, with that there, go ahead. I get excited about TSS. <laughs> no, so go basically ahead. what you're doing about that there, oh, yeah, is um, – Number nine, we'll just go with number nine PSS. Carry 236 foot-pounds of energy per square inch. The same thing as a number four lead and a number five heavy shot. Uh, the deal behind it is you're looking at 350 kiloton ounce for number nine PSS. So basically the way you can look at that is you're throwing 360 pellets of number five down range out of a number nine. That's basically what's the way you can look at it. Uh, that's the best way to put it in layman's terms, honestly. Um, on top of that, it just gives you that awesome pattern history. And you don't have to go to those ultra-constrictive chokes um, with TSS because you don't lose your pa- – you don't have the pattern um, – you don't lose your patterns over range like lead because there's no deformity. Um, your TSS, your general rule of thumb, I think Mr. Hal Abbott uh, came up with this, uh, was – Six to seven percent every ten yards beyond forty. 
is what you can pretty much plan on losing pattern percentage. So therefore, a lot of guys can get away with shooting waterfowl chokes, you know, factory full, things of that nature. Um, I know a good friend of mine, uh, Bill Cranick, his, uh, his bred 420 gauge is just a flame thrower with, uh, with a factory full and CFS 9, 1.58 ounce load. Um, it puts up the prettiest, prettiest 40 yard pattern that I've ever seen in my life. You know, as far as just with a factory full chunk. It just, man, it's a head knocker. And he's proven it a few times this year that it will slap a head really, really hard. So it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's awesome, man. It's awesome technology. Um, I'd love to tell you it's new technology. It's not new technology. It's something that's been around. But, you know, it's one of those things that it's very expensive. And the price is always fluctuating um, with TSS. I know a lot of guys, you know, that are hand loaders, that also sell uh, TSS themselves have it priced anywhere between forty-eight to fifty-two dollars a pound uh, for the smaller shot. Uh, the more the larger shot tends to get a little cheaper. Um, extremely expensive, uh, but it's a fine metal. Um, so it, it, it's it's worth doing. Uh, just my opinion. All right, guys, and sorry about that. Let's get back to the interview. Uh, yeah, I think I left off with the uh, this, the pricing of TSS. Um, pretty much how some guys, you know, there's multiple guys that buy and sell shot, uh, hand loaders, reloaders. Uh, a lot of it comes out, you know, your your bigger shot turns out to be a little bit cheaper to get. Um, a lot of the uh, a lot of the prices average around forty eight to fifty two dollars, roughly right now um, per pound. Um, but I've seen it as low as thirty six, thirty five dollars a pound. Uh, just last year. So there's a constant fluctuating market, which uh, makes availability, um, you know, makes availability pretty short sometimes. So it, it's one of those things that I'm just curious and excited to see where it goes from there. Um, just, uh, you know, there, there's big things coming uh, in the TSS world. I don't think it's something that's just going to be a fad. Uh, I got a feeling it's going to be here to stay, um, much like, you know, Hopefully, we'll be able to sit around uh, one day and talk about it, just like we do the long beards uh, and things of that nature. Just hopefully, not uh, you know, not the whole rifle hold patterns and things of that nature. Hopefully, you know, it's just a lot more successful because uh, it's something that's a, it's something that's designed to make you a lot more successful if you allow it to be. Um, and that just goes back to the patterning board and, and knowing your weapon and just uh, knowing what you're using. Um, but yeah, I, just, I, I totally agree with that. And, you know, going back to, you know, people thinking it's kind of a fad. I mean, you do see a lot of hate on TSS just on social media. Uh, in general, actually, I saw some posts today about it. But, uh, and it's, it's kind of like, you know, some guys look at it as like the laughing stock of the turkey hunting woods, which uh, at one time I thought, I was like, it's, it's too good to be true. And then, you know, I put my hands on some and saw some shot densities and patterns with it. And I was like, that's, that's the real deal. And again, guys, until, you know, you hear about the density of how dense this stuff is, until you put your hands on it and seriously feel the same volume-wise between lead and uh, TSS in a cup and pick each up, it's it's unbelievable. Uh, I know t- uh, this year, again, we met you at the uh, NWTF convention this year, uh, Robert, and had a good time talking to you. And y'all had that demonstration at where y'all had these two bottles. One was filled with lead shot. One was filled with TSS shot. And it was unbelievable how dense and heavy the TSS shot was. I oh, mean, it, it's unreal. And every time someone picked it up, you know, they pick up the lead first and like, okay, yeah, that's you know, that's lead, whatever. They pick up the TSS uh, shot, and literally their face would like their mouth would just drop. They're like, holy crap! And I'm like, so you really do see a difference just in the weight and uh, you know how much energy it's really packing behind that. Because a lot of guys don't understand, you know, kinetic energy is everything. So once you get your kinetic energy up, you know, it's going to be a lot more successful on just, you know, hitting hard. And that's where, you know, everyone gets that whole knockdown power uh, coming from. But, I mean, I'm excited about it. Uh, I have not used y'all's shells yet, which, again, uh, there might not be a chance for me to use them this year, for at least on turkeys, unfortunately. But uh, I look at look forward to maybe shooting some coyotes uh, with y'all's two-shot uh, this fall or this summer, uh, hopefully on some coyotes. And that was another thing I talked to y'all about was, Y'all's two shot performs like buckshot. Uh, after talking to y'all and uh, Troy from MFK Game Calls, and uh, how much he loves that shot, and so I'm excited to try that out this fall. But uh, 
you know, one other thing about this Apex, you know, how did you even get started with them and what brought you to the company? Man, uh, honestly, it was kind of one of those things that just, I wouldn't say fell in my lap, but a good friend of mine, Corey Ellis, he actually introduced me to uh, Apex Ammunition. And, uh, you know, he got me in touch with Nick Charney. And, uh, you know, we kind of evolved as a friendship and a family from there. And it's just been all forward, you know. Uh, we, we got a chance to basically, you know, spend a lot of time on the phone, you know, get to know each other, um, talk turkey. You know, every one of those guys are avid turkey hunters. Uh, Nick, he's just stayed up with turkeys as anybody else I know out there, you know. And, you know, so we were, we were able to really form a good friendship slash family bond. Um, and, and just push forward, you know, and it's been, it's been one heck of a ride, you know, we've had some hiccups and, you know, we were getting all that stuff ironed out, you know, every new company has its hiccups, you know, and, uh, it's just how you, uh, pretty much how you answer those hiccups and how you proceed forward is what's going to define you. And it's, it's been awesome, man. It's been, it's been fun. It really has been fun. Well, and I agree that, you know, every new company has their hiccups and everything, but, you know, with everything y'all have done, I, I truly believe y'all are one of the fastest growing companies, at least from the outside wor- uh, world, you know, being a spectator. seems like y'all are one of the fastest growing companies in at least the outdoor industry. I mean, it's unbelievable. I remember a couple of years ago when y'all released. Actually, how long? Yeah, let's ask about that real quick. How long has Apex been around? We've only been around <laughs> a little over a year. Okay, that's, um, that's what I thought. As far as completely commercialized, mm-hmm. uh, Apex was a thought, and it's a funny story. And I hope I don't butcher it. But it was a funny story. Apex was actually thought up in a duck line amongst the three owners, uh, Jason, Jared, and, uh, and Nick. Um, it basically was derived right there. And they were all cutting up and having a good time um, and decided, you know, hey, we're going to, uh, we're going to start Apex Ammunition. You know, we're going to start developing this stuff and, and sell it on the mainstream and, 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 you know, and push forward with it. And it's been, you know, it's been a fun time. Those guys, have, you know, fortunately, they're very patient individuals. Uh, fortunately, they're very patient men. Um, and they've, uh, you know, they've, they've, they've made the best, you know, out of what they had. Uh, it, it, it would blow your mind to know the, uh, the amount that was invested to where the company is now. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's been extremely successful. So there's, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's not a bad thing I can say with it. They're very good businessmen. They're, uh, they, they care about the people. You know, they care about the customers. Um, and they care about the people that are there to help them. Um, so there's, there's, you know, it's, it's, it's been an awesome ride. Well, that, that's one thing that blows me away. I mean, I guess I've, you know, known about y'all since y'all released it. Cause I remember when y'all had the announcement, I guess it was, yeah, a little over a year ago. And that, that does blow my mind. Cause I thought it was longer than that. Uh, but, uh, I mean, I'm telling you, y'all grown so quickly and y'all's name is now, you know, I mean, pretty much y'all's name is out there where everyone knows about Apex. I mean, they're like. You know, I've heard of that. Some people don't necessarily know like all this TSS. They're like, oh, yeah, I've, I've heard of that ammo company before. And it's it's really cool to have y'all grown and how's y'all, uh, you know, y'all have grown y'all's line. Uh, it's been really, really awesome. And, you know, I think y'all are going to be extremely successful in the future. And, you know, that's one thing, you know, I love doing is, you know, seeing people invest in these small companies, startup companies. I mean, that is awesome that Outdoor has been with a dream and idea and a passion for something goes out and starts, you know, starts something new and takes a risk. I mean, Everyone that knows that if you've ever run a business or ever been in a small business, you know, it's a risk. And, you know, you're trying to make that risk reward factor and hope the reward's bigger. And, uh, you know, understand there's hiccups on the way, but, you know, just push through it and, you know, you succeed. And, you know, I'm glad that's kind of where y'all are right now and y'all can continue to grow. And, you know, I wish y'all the best of luck. And I think y'all all are, uh, you know, a great group of guys. You know, everything y'all do through social media and everything else y'all have done, you know, seems very, very, you know, authentic and real and a lot of guys can really connect with y'all on this turkey hunting and i think it's great for the industry oh thank you very much yeah i'm, I'm with you on that man it's and that's one of the things that kind of kind of locked me in with uh with jason and jared and nick is you know just spending the time with them and just seeing how you know how real of people they are and just just seeing how real of people they are and how nice they are and things of that nature and just tell that they actually you know, genuinely care about one another and care about people. Um, it, it made it an easy decision to make. So it, it's, it's like I said, man, it's just, I got a feeling they're a company that's going to be here to stay. Um, I got a feeling they're going to be a company that's got very, very big future ahead of them. 
Well, with with that being said, uh, is there any way you, you have uh, any information on anything y'all might be releasing anytime soon? Or is that oh a... man, that's 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 to be that's that's to be seen. There's fixing to be a lot of big shakeups. Awesome. So there's a there's a there's, there's a few new things coming down the line. Um, R and D department's working on a few things right now. Uh, you're gonna see uh, a few a few new twenty gauge loads come out. You're gonna see a few new twelve gauge loads come out. So it's uh. It's uh, there's a few things coming. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be good stuff. Awesome. So. Well, that's that's perfect. You know, that's what I like to hear, and I definitely can't wait to you know try y'all's loadout. Uh, whether it's gonna be this spring or you know next season, definitely you know try that out and see how I like it. And then also definitely want to put y'all's uh, coyote load to uh, to test this summer and this fall. Uh, hopefully, we'll have some uh, good video and uh, films for that, and uh, we'll have that up on our social media platforms. But again, Robert, I appreciate you coming on, man, and making time for us today. And for anyone that doesn't know, uh, y'all need to get connected with uh, Robert on social media because, first of all, it's always great when you you know you're at work, so you look at your Facebook and uh, on your news feed, uh, you see his iconic uh, "He should have not done that" post on Facebook, and you know he's put a bird down. So, uh, Robert, how can some guys and some people get connected with you, either through social media or uh, how, or just uh, ask you any questions to see, you know, how your season progresses? Oh, they just look real simple. They can look me up at uh, on Instagram at comp520.com or, um, you know, just Facebook in general. My, my account's about maxed out now. Um, but if anybody needs to get in touch with me on social media, they can shoot me an IM, whatever. Uh, feel free to call me. Feel free to text me. I'm very easy going i'll answer and do whatever i need to do to help somebody out so that's uh that's that's about the two best ways to get a hold of me uh social media wise um but you know like i said i've always got time for somebody um you know there's there's always a question that needs to be answered and even if i don't know it i'll try to find it out for them all right well perfect i mean i definitely appreciate that i know a lot of our listeners will too because i'm sure some people you know reach out to you whether it's about apex or just you know other topics that we've talked about today hunting you know public or private land and you know, any questions they need answered off that, you know, it's a great way to reach out to you. But once again, Robert, I appreciate you coming on today and uh, making the best out of this and, uh, you know, just making a little time for us. And we look forward to keeping in touch through, uh, with you throughout the season. And I hope you have a very successful season. Oh, thank you very much, Jacob. And I've enjoyed this as well. So, you know, anytime, like I said before, just uh, anytime y'all want to do anything, hey, give me a buzz. All right, brother. Well, we appreciate it. Hey everybody, this is Kyle V, host of the Ozark Podcast, a show where we sit down with outdoorsmen of the Ozark Mountains region to talk all things hunting and fishing. Just like the outdoorsmen who live here, we follow the seasons and interview regional experts on everything from bear hunting, to fishing for smallmouth and trout, and discussing big questions like what happened to all the quail in the southeast. If you're enjoying this show, then I know you'll enjoy the Ozark Podcast. You can listen to the show on all podcasting platforms and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.